Welcome to episode 77 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined, as always, by my co-host, Dalton Willie. Our producer, Johnny Pham, is out on a scouting assignment in Minnesota. I took a took a little K.J. Osborne, Irv Smith, Kirk Cousins stack in best ball in our draft late, so I sent Johnny out there to get the lowdown on that. He'll be back next week. Dalton, how are you tonight? I am doing good. Uh, tomorrow, we are exactly one month away from what is a really great Thursday night football matchup in the Bills Rams. So probably tops Bucks Dallas last year. So yeah, it's going to be an exciting start to the season. Um, I played some DFS last weekend <laughs> for the hall of fame game. I bet some unders in that game. I hit money. If you're not following me on Twitter for some of the immortal locks in these preseason games, then you're just missing out because this is where the money's made, baby. Uh, all I know is I am happy to report that I was the only one in the podcast group chat that did not turn on that game as you and Johnny were um, getting a little bit upset about potential point totals that were being hit or not hit a- as the night went on. Okay, well, the fact that the Raiders came out and let Josh Jacobs play like a <laughs> solid three drives was very concerning for a lot of the bets I had. Uh, potentially concerning for a lot of reasons, but that's also a lot of a, a lot of narrative street won't quite jump down yet. We'll we'll see if anything concrete comes Too late of it. For some of us, <laughs> Too, that 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 is factual. Um, but <laughs> something that is concrete, Dalton, is J.K. Dobbins is back on the practice field for the first time in over a year when he hurt his knee on astronomically terrible turf. Uh, J.K. Dobbins has been activated off the PUP. He is on track for week one. I will say the one video I've seen of him that I share with you guys, he, he looks like he has some work to do before week one, but you said it. We are basically a month away, so still a lot of time, but just overall encouraging that Dobbins is off the PUP and seemingly on track, it seems, to play week one. Yeah, and still a screaming value where he's at. I mean, I think he's getting drafted as the RB23. I'm assuming that's going up with him coming off the PUP. But with the news about Gus Edwards, we have ourselves like a little bit of a situation where Dobbins could, you know, maybe get a higher backfield share and a higher rush percentage in the the highest rushing offense in the NFL with Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's really sky-high upside here, and he's being priced so low. Mm -hmm. There's just so much. I mean, him and Miles Sanders are getting drafted together, and Mm – one of those players is not that good. And the other player was very good when we saw him in action two years ago. Yep, I I agree. And, you know, I haven't even mentioned, but the main topic of today's show, if you're here from Twitter or you're listening on the, on the pod, you obviously see. But we've got sleepers. We've got breakouts this week. And I had to think really hard about putting J.K. Dobbins on the breakout list because, as you know, he was a my guy for me last year and, like, was the – preeminent my guy on my whole list of my guys. I loved J.K. Dobbins. I just still have hesitation putting a guy one year removed off of ACL surgery on a breakout list, but you are right that if he is healthy and if the Gus Edwards thing is still slow going, which it is right now, that it's setting up well for, for Dobbins if he's able to play right away to start the season. And if he is just back to himself, then we have a very, very major value on our hands. I always want to ask you, like, what does a screaming value sound like? Like, what, what is it yelling at you when, when you when you see it in the draft? 
sounds like Allen Robinson in the fourth round right now. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, a guy that might be turning, uh, might might have been a value at one point, now looking like less of a value as we go along here, Traylon Burks. He is apparently working through some serious learning curves, which is not surprising. He's worked with the twos and threes a bit in camp, which, again, like a, a lot of these guys probably do and go back and forth. So I, I'm not reading too much into it. But it's at least uh, a notable thing. Like like we said, we were going to be paying attention to pretty much every Traylon Burks headline o- over the, the next month, a couple weeks ago. And I still am, but there's still a lot of time between now and draft season, but just something else to, to keep in your back pocket as we move forward here. Yeah, well, and we were notable Traylon Burks faders at the start. Yep. If you've listened to us, you, you don't have any shares of him. Um, I would say, although is, Johnny, who is our producer actually does have a share is, of him. So a little, little yeah. ironic there. Um, I would say my concern is one, Mike Vrabel put Julio Jones in the doghouse last year for doing some wrong things. And that's Julio Jones. Well, like, and I actually was listening to, uh, Harris, Chris Harris talk about Burks the other day and he made the comment, well, AJ Brown kind of got benched midway through his rookie season and didn't really break out and become, uh, every week type of starter until late in the year. So even A.J. Brown, who's an awesome receiver, got benched by, by Vrabel. So it, it would not be a shock at all to see Burks get benched at some point during the season. Yeah. Well, my other concern is, like, normally when you have a rookie running with the twos and threes, you're like, oh, they're a rookie. It's where they should be at. But on the other side of the ball, Kyle Phillips is, like, running all camp with the run once. Yep. And, I mean, I think he's their fifth-round pick. It's not like they invest a lot in him. It is a little concerning to see that one guy is picking up the game a lot differently than the other, um, not to mention uh, Traylon Burks. I mean, the asthma to start the season, whatever that was, he was out of shape, misconditioned. Just it's been a horrendous start for him for his NFL career. I, I will say the the difference between Burks and, and Phillips is Burks comes in as a completely unrefined football player, whereas that is how – Kyle Phillips even got drafted is that he's a super refined player. He's a guy that I think before the draft was someone that people identified as he doesn't have a ton of upside, but he could potentially be a slot receiver because he just kind of knows how, knows how to play, knows how to play the receiver position. Whereas Burks, he doesn't run too many routes right now and he's going to take time. And, And I'm glad that you brought up that we weren't major backers of him to, to start the whole draft process back in April because I've seen people compare this to the Jamar Chase football thing last year where it's like, well, Burks was a prospect that had his major fans and detractors very polarizing, whereas Jamar Chase was widely seen as a generational prospect before the draft. He skipped a whole year of college football and still went, what, like pick four, pick five, mm-hmm. whatever it was. So this is a different level of, of prospect in, in Traylon Burks compared to Yeah, well, and Jamar Chase caught balls all over the field, not within 10 yards like Traylon Burks did. Um, no offense to him, but look, Traylon Burks won on athleticism, not on being a good wide receiver. And mm-hmm. it's just harder to translate being a good wide receiver. Everybody in the NFL is an athlete. Not everybody in the NFL can get the technical skills in, and some guys make their careers out of that, which is the biggest concern with Traylon Burks, obviously, is that he'll never turn those into that. 
Uh, still rooting for the guy, but I wouldn't recommend you draft him. There's another receiver in Robert Woods I'd probably take every day over him. Mm-hmm. I, I'm probably with you at this point, but still a ways to go. Uh, Geno Smith is apparently starting the first preseason game for Seattle, and in the blurb where I read this, the blurb surmises that he seems to have a solid leg up on the QB1 spot, which... I know Drew Locke isn't good, but I still think it'd be slightly better if Drew Locke were the starter than DK Metcalf. So it's going to be bad regardless in Seattle, but just worth noting that Geno Smith could actually be the starter at least to begin the season. Well, it's funny because I was listening to uh, the Ringers football show. I'm sorry, not the Ringer, the Athletics football show. And Robert Mays was saying that everybody was telling him Drew Locke has the upper hand. And this is just one of those like beat streak mm-hmm. things where like I, I remember, what was it, a week ago? It was Melvin Gordon's 80-20 split, and someone else reported Javante was 99-1 split. Like, it's just <laughs> absurd. Um, regardless, I mean, I don't really care who starts here. I just don't kind of want something to do with Tyler Lockett just because of how cheap he is. But, yeah. like, the quarterbacking on this team, the offensive line play, and the coaching staff are just so horrendous that I fantasy-wise, it is so hard for me to get excited about anybody here. I'm starting to think that Noah Fant was lying when he said that Drew Locke was having some Patrick Mahomes-like throws in training camp if Geno Smith is starting the first preseason game. Well, he was probably talking about, like, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl when he was getting sacked repeatedly by the Tampa Bay Bucks. That's <laughs> all the way I could think of it. You mentioned Melvin Gordon. I didn't have this in the notes, but I guess it is at least worth mentioning that the Broncos said today that Gordon is nursing a foot injury, so they're they're kind of giving him some rest. Worth watching, but I think this was his first mispractice. So it's still... Like, it could just be a, a veteran's day off. It we've, we've got plenty of time to the season. But just be watching his health going forward, I guess, is really the only thing I would say there. Yeah, and I mean, they did sign two running backs who were probably going to get cut by the start of the season. So I'm not incredibly... I'm a little anxious about it, but I'm not too concerned until we hear more about the foot injury. I will agree with, with Todd that maybe Drew Locke is better than he's been given credit for by... Dalton because he's not he's not literally the worst quarterback but he's but he's close but he's, he's close. close very close okay Dalton we'll go from arguably the worst to one of the best in Josh Allen that's where we're going to start our player props today so Josh Allen his over under for passing yards is at 4320 and a half are you taking the over or the under on Josh Allen's total here yeah, I was a little confused about how low this was. He's hit the overmark last two seasons, one mm-hmm. of those seasons being a 16-game season. Um, the, what really stands out to me about the Buffalo Bills is last year they played the NFL's easiest schedule. So there were a lot of layup games for Josh Allen and co. where they didn't really have to you know, go all out and pass the ball. In pass rate over expectation last year, they were only 12th in the NFL. And we know the reason for that is because they led so often and their defense looked strong doing it. They're going to play a harder schedule. They're going to have to air it out more. And undoubtedly, I think that leads to them passing it more. <laughs> Noah asked Drew Locke or Sam Darnold in the chat. Neither. Um, I'm, I'm taking the over here as well. You mentioned he's hit that number the last two years. He, he has. It was less comfortable last year in a full 17-game slate. But the one thing you like about any of these AFC quarterbacks' uh, numbers, although Herbert's is pretty high but any of the others you have to assume they all have to play 17 games because 
the AFC is going to be so tough, and it is going to be a bloodbath to get to the playoffs. There, there's, I'd be shocked if there's anyone who can rest in Week 18. People are going to be fighting for, for home field, fighting for seeds, whatever, all season long. We've talked about a little bit the loss of, of Dabble, but they have Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator who has already been there and I think is set up to be a really good offensive coordinator based on things I've read in the last couple of days. A lot of people seem to have big-time faith in him. So, you know, Josh Allen's still young. He's still an ascending player. His completion percentage dipped down to 63% last year, which was still his second-best season after it being at 69 the year before. So if he just ups that efficiency a little bit to somewhere in between, he he should comfortably hit this number, I think. Yeah, and, I mean, maybe even with Gabriel Davis, that passing offense is a little better than it was last year. Um, And James Cook getting involved. James Cook, we will see about that one. Uh, we will see. <laughs> Cam Akers, um, I called him maybe the biggest swing player in fantasy football in the Rams and Cardinals preview that came out on the newsletter today, which you can find on halfpointperpod.substack.com. His rushing prop is 849.5. Dalton, I'm taking the over. I feel absolutely sick about it. But we both have him as a top 20 guy. You right at 20 and, and me at 18. He has 25 receptions for 260 yards in 20 games in his entire career. If he is going to be a top 20 guy, it's got to be on the ground, I think. Daryl Henderson, if he's healthy, profiles as the pass catcher of the two. Akers did catch the ball a little bit more in the playoffs last year than he ever had really previously in his career, like more consistently. But... He really doesn't have to have that inspiring of a season to hit this number if he can stay relatively healthy. Sonny Michel was four yards under this number last year. David Montgomery was three yards under, and he missed a month of the season. Devin Singletary hit this number. We've talked about how the only reason he was a top 30 back was because he played every game last year. So I think if you count on the fact that he's going to have to make his money on the ground this year, and we both seem to have faith that he can maybe do that although he's a he's a tough rank in the top 20 it's a it's a big time swing for sure and it just really is about staying healthy and and looking better than he looked last postseason but I, I think he's got it wow this is such a swing from last year where I yelled on the podcast about Cam Akers being a screaming amazing player uh because I'm taking the under and Cam Akers is probably like the player I'm the most concerned about being wrong about because if he is healthy post Achilles, he's going to hit, he's mm-hmm. going to hit really well. I mean, he was a top 12 pick in fantasy drafts before the Achilles injury last year for some people, not for you. <laughs> um, the Rams love to run the ball. My concerns are the loss of Whitworth. That offensive line's a little shakier. Uh, that one-on-one talk about him and Daryl Henderson splitting work. I think Daryl Henderson probably catches balls, doesn't rush a lot. Can I, just, can, can I just say, I just flat out, like, Sean McVay is one of the biggest liars on the face of the planet. I just don't buy that at all. Cam Akers was coming back from a torn Achilles in less than seven months and was the guy in the playoffs last year. And we were all kind of like, are you sure you don't want to give the ball to Sony Michelle a little bit? Like, uh, <laughs> So I, I think if Akers is somewhere close to right, he, he's going to be the number one guy. Yeah, but what if he's close to wrong? Which it's I possible. Think he might be. It's possible. I mean, would would you be shocked if Cam Akers was like sixth in the NFL in rushing yards? Literally, or, sorry, no, no, no. Sorry, sixth in the NFL in rush attempts and like twelfth 
in rushing. Literally nothing. Just, literally nothing would shock me. He could come back and be terribly inefficient because that's what we saw in the playoffs last year. But I, I mentioned this in the newsletter. If he never came back last year in the playoffs, if we just knew he was close but never came back, is his ADP higher? Because the last thing we have, last vision we have of him in our minds is getting like 2.5 yards per carry in the Super Bowl on like 18 carries in that game. Yeah. And he like guys don't come back from torn Achilles period sometimes. And he came back in such a short amount of time. So I should we be holding that against him, but also it's hard not to, because we just don't know if he's going to ever be back. So it's, it's so tough. He has the widest range of outcomes. He and Gabe Davis are the two for me. And I could see Cam Akers being awesome. I could see him being terrible next year. I, I could see really anything. <laughs> yeah, I just I just can't do it. I just don't want I don't want any part of him. I just want to watch and see, and I'll cheer for him, and maybe play him in DFS if he gets good again. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, James Conner, his line for rushing touchdowns. And this was a guy who had quite a few of them last year. Is eight and a half. Dalton, are you on the over or the under here? Yeah, I'm just taking the under. Um, James Conner is one of those guys that just scores touchdowns, but he's also one of those guys that like just gets hurt yep. a lot. Uh, so that's a concern for me. Secondly, I, I went and looked it up. All but two of his touchdowns last season came within the five-yard line. There is a little bit of NFL luck required to get in those situations where the wide receiver goes out at the two, and then you get the ball, and that's what happens with him. Yep. But you need that to happen more frequently, and Kyler Murray is one of the best downfield passers. So this could be one of those teams, just like Kansas City is, where they're not like a great red zone team because so frequently they're scoring outside the 20s. Yep. Um, so I can see that as a, a really high range of outcomes for him. And, I mean, nine touchdowns for running back is just hard to get to. It's yeah. hard. Um, so I'm definitely taking the under on this one. He had 15 last year, which is just crazy. He had 15 rushing touchdowns. And, again, Cardinals were, were a, a feature point in the most recent newsletter. I think it was like 15 rushing touchdowns. And 700 and something rushing yards, which is just an absurd split. You like 15 rushing touchdowns is crazy. It's even crazier to not even be sniffing a thousand rushing yards, um, which I think he actually probably will rush for more yards if he's healthy this year than he did last year because Chase Edmonds is gone. But you mentioned the inside the five stuff. He was second in rush attempts inside the five last year. He would be first most years, but Jonathan Taylor had a quite literally historic workload inside the five-yard line last year. Look back to 2020 when Dalvin Cook and Zeke were the two leaders and James Conner had four more than either of those guys in 2021 than they had in 2020. So just to give some context there. They bring in Daryl Williams, who I'm not saying he's great. I'm not saying he's going to like threaten Conner for the job, but he was tied for third in carries inside the five-yard line last year for the Chiefs. He could potentially get some of that short yardage work if they want to spare Connor some of that punishment. He's definitely built for that and is a short yardage back that they should be able to trust. And they didn't have that guy last year because it was Chase Edmonds, who quite famously is a between-the-20s running back that <laughs> never gets carries inside the 10-yard line. And then Kyler had like four rushing touchdowns last year, which was a career low, so maybe his number comes up too. There was a lot of things that went Connor's way perfectly last year that I don't think it's going to happen this year. I know 8.5 is a lot lower than 15, but 8.5 is still a big number. It just doesn't feel like it because of how big the number was last year. Yeah, well, it's just like we talked about with Cooper Cup. I mean, those numbers are so astronomically high, they have to come down. Well, Connor was second in the NFL in rush TDs, wasn't he? He was only 
only beaten out by JT, I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that I don't even remember what Jonathan Taylor's total number was, but he had like four or five in one game. So maybe if Taylor doesn't have that game, it would have been been even. Which and he had like double the yards. So again, just craziness from uh, James Conner last year. Jalen Hurts. Uh, I did in fact put this on here so we could yell at each other because I'm sure we have opposite answers here. Over or oh, under his passing yardage prop of three thousand four hundred fifty and a half. Um, also, just a little side note, his passing touchdowns are at 22.5, if that is of interest. Anybody? Dalton, are you taking the over or the under here? Well, I can't believe you're taking the under because that's already clear. I'm <laughs> taking the over. A couple of things. Here. He didn't do it. He's never done it before. So He I was 300 off last year, didn't play a game, and walked out of the second game against the Lions because he yeah. got injured. Yeah. So there's two games for him to get 150 passing yards. Uh, and he just got A.J. Brown added to this offense. I am famously in the camp that the Eagles return to their weeks one through seven form because they want to throw the ball because Nick Sirianni knows throwing the ball is the way they play. Just out of curiosity, I'm not comparing them at all as passers, but ever since he's had A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill has gone over this number, Mm -hmm. and I am not going to go out on a limb and say it's not going to be incredibly hard for him to throw the ball to A.J. Brown at the five and let A.J. Brown run it for 30 yards, and he hits this number. I think last season, if he has A.J. Brown all season, he probably hits the over on this number. It's it's close for me. I mean, it's not like this is a no-brainer under because it's not it's not a very high number. But he was <laughs> under it by, by a fair amount last year. Do you say if he played a full season? I think the thing I worry about with him, maybe more than you, his play style and he basically plays like Josh Allen, like takes the type of hits that Josh Allen takes, maybe even more, honestly than Josh Allen, but he's 15 pounds lighter and about five or six inches shorter than Josh Allen. So I think he's going to be a quarterback that profiles to miss some games every year. You'd you'd feel pretty lucky, I think, if you got a full season afterwards, which maybe you do. And if you do, you have a good chance at this number. But that's part of my concern um, as well. You mentioned weeks one through seven, and I am so glad you did because I I went back and took a very close look. I didn't include week seven. I don't remember why. But it was weeks one. Th- oh, I think it's I think week seven is specifically the week they they turned to a run heavy team. So one through six, you're correct. The I, just, uh, I I specifically was on the hunt for garbage time stats because I was just curious because you know if you Google J- or Twitter search Jalen Hurts garbage time or DeAndre Swift garbage time, all you get is people talking about it all September and all October last year. I was like, okay, let let me go back and see if I can find if it was as as garbage time heavy as I remember last year weeks one through six. He threw for almost half of his yards on the whole season in those first six weeks, and and that was 40% of the games he played. So his passing was definitely more productive those first six games. With his team ahead, he threw for 350 yards. With his team tied, he threw for 146. That means he threw for 1,220 yards with his team behind, and he had the lowest QB rating of any of those numbers, which I thought was kind of weird because I— for a ton of yards but maybe had some picks but the one game that I went back and, and looked at in particular because everybody remembers this game everybody remembers the Cowboys game where he threw the pick six they got down big he threw the touchdown with like 10 seconds left that was a, a good throw but like the play where he's running towards the sideline you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. and throws it I think to Greg Ward in the end zone there's yeah. like congrats there's five seconds left and you score a touchdown and they did the same thing the next week against the Chiefs too but they're down 27-7 to early third quarter, and it was never closer than two possessions after that. He had 229 of his 326 passing yards from that point on, 
in that game. And then the Chiefs game next week, it wasn't quite as profound, but it was still like 100 to 115. I don't remember the exact number passing yards when they were down by multiple scores. I say all this to say that if they are actually a better team this year, some of that, even if they do throw the ball more, some of that garbage time stuff where he really racked up stats earlier in the season, he may actually have less yards, but be a better quarterback, be playing more efficiently, making fewer mistakes, and he just doesn't hit that total because I still think they're going to run more than you think. So I'm not like trying to completely hate on Jalen Hurts with, with the under here, but I just even though it's not that big of a number, it just makes me nervous. A couple of things I'll say. First, Taylor Heineke almost hit the over on this number, which was really my determining factor for picking it because <laughs> I do think Jalen Hurts can be a better passer than Taylor Heineke, um, which I know is not saying a lot for anything. <laughs> uh, the second thing I'll say is if you go back three years ago, you could probably like do the same armchair analysis of like when Josh Allen got his yards. Yeah. Which was probably a lot of it in garbage time. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and the the only thing with the Josh Allen comp is that Josh Allen made like one of the biggest improvements I've yeah, seen in my and I never life. Will. And I'll um, never say that like Jalen Hurts is going to get sure. that asked. But I will say part of Josh Allen becoming a better quarterback and part of anybody becoming a better quarterback is getting an all star wide receiver. Yeah. And Jalen Hurts definitely got that which is really why I chose the over. It's just the addition of A.J. Brown. I'd probably be a lot more bearish on Jalen Hurts this season if they didn't go out and add, you know, who I think is a top 12. So, mm-hmm. I'm curious uh, your thoughts on, on this on this take I heard this week, and then we'll move on. I heard somebody say this week on a podcast that, and this wasn't even a guy that's a Jalen Hurts hater. He's actually an Eagles fan, so so he, he doesn't hate Jalen well, Hurts. Well, trust me, if you search Jalen Hurts, there are plenty of Eagles fans who also hate him. Well, his his question was basically, why would I draft Jalen Hurts at his ADP, which is like top seven quarterback, when I could just take the same guy with Don't probably probably more talent in Trey Lance and, and just hope that it – I'm just curious what, what you think about, about that take of taking Hurts at his ADP – versus just waiting for Lance and shooting for that rushing upside. I think we should just wait for my last breakout to talk about that one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. That is word for word something I wrote down. Which wow. Was, as much as I love Jalen Hurts, I would probably take Trey Lance at QB 13 over okay. Jalen Hurts. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that then. <laughs> I wish I would have teased that later. That would have been oh, perfect. Man. All right, our, our fifth and final guy here, Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster, his over – under for receiving yards is set at 750 and a half. I put this one on here because I felt like I needed a layup this week, and I really feel like that this one is. 750 and a half? I mean, I'm taking the over. Or I'm assuming you are, but... Oh, no, I'm taking the under. Uh, Juju gets hurt week one. <laughs> no, no, I'm taking the over. Uh, this, I mean, if you, and I know like, anybody who's not a Chiefs fan isn't paying as close attention as you and I, but if you listen to the people who really matter and the Chiefs beat reporters camp it is like juju's room juju is the wide receiver and then there's everybody else i love sky more i like nvs and mikol but it is like really juju's job to lose and for two years any chiefs fan who's watched mahomes play has said mahomes needs a juju which is a short to intermediate guy who beats zone coverages so we can play some deeper balls and it's just gonna work out i believe it we're three years removed from this guy playing with the best big bid in the last three years and having 1,500 yards and being like a wide receiver too as far as mm-hmm. Dynasty ADP goes. 
I think he was actually like the number one overall player yeah. for Dynasty at one point. I hear people mention that all the time with him. Which yeah, is I, a death nail because so is Michael Thomas. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm taking the over, obviously, too. You mentioned they need a possession receiver. They obviously have that in Kelsey. And the great thing about having that in Kelsey is that Juju's never going to get the linebacker help his way because they're going to let him eat and, and try and take away Kelsey as much as possible in that area of the field. Three of the four seasons, the, the full seasons he's played, I put full in quotations, air quotes, because he only played 12 games in the other full year. He's hit that number. And even in that year he played 12 games, which was also his worst statistical year from a per-game standpoint, he still would have hit that number if he played every game, which you can't predict anyone's going to do that. I think he's going to be closer to 1,000 yards than this number, quite frankly. He's going to be the top receiver in this offense. Sure, it's not going to be the same gap from him to the next guy as Tyree Kill to the next guy, but it, he's still going to be the number one receiver, not counting Kelsey in this offense. I think he hits this number easily with good health. Yeah, and we don't both rank him inside our top 20 if we don't expect 1,000 yards. I mean, you almost have to hit that as a receiver or have an insane touchdown number to be in the top 20, which, again, I, I really think that there's some massive, like, recency bias going on with Juju granted like he's not an alpha wide receiver one but you can be a fine wide receiver one with the best quarterback in the NFL for fantasy purposes guys have done it before Devontae Parker put up a wide receiver eight season three years ago with Fitzpatrick so let's not act like you have to be an alpha to do it boy I would love to forget that Devontae Parker season ever (laughs) ever happened uh okay Dalton let's get to the meat of this show and that is the sleepers and the breakouts. We'll start with the sleepers and and we'll end big with with the bigger names uh, for breakout players. And I'll start us off here. I've got a pair of rookies in the sleeper category, which I usually don't do. But these guys both just jump out to me as as great values, even though I have never seen them play an NFL football game. I'm just a big believer. The first guy being Jahan Dotson. Now, I know. Neither of us were the biggest Jahan Dotson fan as far as first-round receiver. That's because I, I don't think this guy's going to, like, has superstar upside. But what I do think, though, is he has every tool you need at receiver to come in and contribute right away. He has great hands. The reports all offseason with him have been great. And it, on, in contrast, you have... Curtis Samuel, who I don't think can even be tackled in training camp right now because they're trying to nurse him back from injuries and keep him from getting injured again. You have Dimey Brown, who, bless his heart, love the guy, but missed all of last week with a leg injury and just kind of seems to be there, like has been second string, not really much of a factor. It doesn't seem like in, in any of the stuff that I've seen come out of Washington these last couple of months. He has probably the best hands in, in his class. He's got great speed. He knows how to get open. He grades very well on reception perception. He has an 81% contested catch rate. Uh, the Matt Harmon comparison he gives them is Doug Baldwin in, in the slot. Not saying he's going to be that, and especially not this year, but this is a guy that's 96th percentile um, in separation against zone coverage. He is going to be a reliable weapon for Carson Wentz from day one. Someone that gets open very quickly and is, I think, the security blanket for Carson Wentz this year. Yeah, and I agree with you. A big thing 
that helps determine wide receiver breakouts. And it's not something that's like really fun to talk about. If you're a fantasy analyst is draft capital teams are investing in players Mm -hmm. because they want those players to work out. And those players are going to get more opportunities to work out. And in fantasy opportunities are king. More importantly, this team has not had a consistent slot guy for two seasons. Curtis Samuels brought in last year to do that. Um, In replace of that, it's been like the JD McKissick show where there are games where JD McKissick has had 10 receptions because their slot guys aren't good two seasons ago well, who was the ku player we were hyping up who played for the washington football oh, team was it St- steven sims yeah it was steven sims playing the slot role and he had a six reception game because they were just so bereft of talent outside of terry mclaurin uh john dotson for like all of the misgivings we weren't high on him but when a team takes him that high and a team has a really specific role they need for him it's something you really need uh i'm always concerned about tying anybody to carson Wentz at this point but he is so cheap in drafts that wide receiver 65 on fantasy pros right now. Yeah. And it is a little absurd that guys who are drafted after him, like Sky Moore and Christian Watson have such a different draft ADP right now. I understand the, the situations they're in, but those guys don't even necessarily have to come out and produce right away to return their value when Washington is expecting. Well, Jahan Dotson out there. And don't get me wrong. I've been one of the biggest Jamison Williams stands as a prospect for like the last year nine months now but he's going three spots ahead of him and wide receiver adp ahead of Jahan dodson last we heard it doesn't seem like it seems at least possible that jamison williams is not back until november and he is coming back to the detroit lions he's not coming back to the chiefs to the packers to to a great situation so i like williams long term i think it's insane that he's going a couple spots ahead of dodson right now and if the health stuff keeps trending the way it is, that won't keep happening, but it should not be happening right now. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if after week one, Dotson was like the number one waiver wire pickup after whatever like fantasy running back comes off of nowhere <laughs> and pulls an Elijah Mitchell all mm-hmm. over again. Um, if he was the number one guy that we were telling people to target after week one, when he mm-hmm. has eight targets and five catches for 80 yards. Yep, I, I could definitely see it. Dalton, who, who's your first sleeper? Whew. Uh we can just rewind the tape from last year because we're running this guy back because <laughs> last year it just didn't work out. Uh, but it's Brandon Ayuk. I didn't even want to name him a sleeper because last year he was going at the 3-4 turn in fantasy drafts. But I went and looked it up, and he's wide receiver 41 overall, going 100 off the board. Mm-hmm. Just for clarification, he finished the season as the wide receiver 36. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly insane to me and he was a top 24 receiver like the last eight weeks or something exactly and we'll get to that which weeks one through seven he sucked like for fantasy purposes he completely sucked he averaged 2.7 targets a game 16 yards and 0.2 touchdowns the good thing is he really only burned you one time because in week one you played him he literally did nothing and you're like okay he played like five snaps i cannot play this guy again until he does something so there have been more harmful busts to your to your fantasy team than exactly last year (laughs) well and then you just jump from weeks eight all the way through the nfc championship game because when a team's using a player in the playoffs it probably means they want to continue to use them in the regular season Mm -hmm. uh he was averaging 5.9 5.9 targets a game, four catches, 61 yards, and 11.9 PPR points per game. So he was like a bona fide top 12 wide receiver. He was a consistent option in a good offense. And this is like one of the few wide receivers where he is one injury away 
from a full-time role. And the two guys in his way are George Kittle and Debo Samuel, yeah. which we know those guys have injury problems. Um, I went and was reading The Athletic. All of their beat reporters are saying that Brandon Ayuk is the star of camp. Him and Trey Lance are connecting on everything. And that fits a lot because if you read Reception Perception, Matt Harmon pretty much lays it out that Brandon Ayuk and Trey Lance's skill sets merge perfectly. Mm -hmm. And Debo Samuels and Jimmy Garoppolo's skill sets merge perfectly, which Jimmy G is a short intermediate passer for slant routes. That's like all Debo was running last year, not to be offensive to him. On the meantime, Ayuk was playing the true X role. And with the shoulder injury Jimmy Garoppolo had, he he was just refusing to throw it downfield. So there was just a lot of useless routes run by Brandon Ayuk. Um, and I mean, I know he had an amazing season, but we were ranking like Ayuk two full rounds ahead of Debo last year. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, that, that ship has definitely sailed, though. No one's doing oh, that. Oh, absolutely. But it wasn't for nothing. And now it's like he's a forgotten afterthought in an offense that's going to change drastically and I think favors the skill set of him. And it's just, I think it's just a layup in fantasy to take him every time you can. Yeah, so on Fantasy Pros, he is 98 overall, wide receiver 39, so a little bit higher, but not much. And it's weird. There's been the Ayuk drumbeat for the last week or so, and his ADP really hasn't moved a whole lot since then. I, It's funny. I was thinking about who I wanted to put on my breakouts list. Went and looked at who I put last year. I have one repeat. And the second one was Brandon Ayuk. And I really wanted to put him on there. But I was like, no, you know, I think Ayuk, he's probably the number one post-hype sleeper in in fantasy football. And I think for a lot of the reasons that you said, uh, Trey Lance has the huge arm, will throw it down the field. Ayuk, as Matt Harmon has pointed out, he just knows how to get open on basically every level of the field. And he's not Debo Samuel, but... People do kind of forget how awesome he is with the ball in his hands too. He kind he was of a first round pick. He was like, a first. He was a first round pick, and he had the Debo Samuel comp as far as what he does with the ball. Like I still remember one of his first games as a rookie where he had the touchdown where he like jumped over the guy. Um, yes. it, like we another, showed that last year on the pod when we were hyped him up. Yeah. I, oh, I'm sure we did. Like. Ayuk is awesome, and if I don't have to take him to be a fantasy starter, then I am I'm totally in on that because there there's definitely upside. And even if he only does what he did last year, but the ride is smoother, then it will be a major boom for your team. Well, and just the one thing I can't make sense for me is Devonta Smith is going seven spots in wide receiver ADP ahead of Brandon Ayuk when the, Devonta Smith is behind Dallas Goddard and behind A.J. Brown, just like Ayuk is behind Debo and behind Kittle. And both of them are in two very run-heavy offenses or what fantasy people think will be run-heavy offenses. But Ayuk's just better. I mean, no offense to Smith, but it's just a better player right now. And he's in his third year versus second year. I don't understand that one at all. I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around that one. I would also argue that Devonta Smith was majorly held back by by his quarterback last year, uh, because if there's if there's one thing that Hurts isn't gonna do, it's the timing stuff on like the intermediate routes, which is where Devonta Smith kind of lives. So, but that's an, another argument for for Ayuk, obviously too, is that he actually does fit well, very well with his quarterback. Whereas, I think Devonta Smith needs an actual pure passer to really unlock what what he is as a route runner. 
It's sneaky what you did there. You're getting me to agree with you, <laughs> but you're also hating on Jalen Hurts. <laughs> okay, so we know you have Trey Lance later. You have Brandon Ayuk now. What could possibly go wrong with two Niners on on this list? We we will find out. Oh, My Trey Sermon's on here too. No. <laughs> <laughs> Please God. Okay. My second guy is a guy that we have both been pounding the drum for all offseason, all draft season, and that's Chris Olave. Right now, he's the wide receiver 46. I looked at my ranks a little bit further again today, moved him up a couple spots to wide receiver 34. It's really tough to get him higher than that, but I still really want to. <laughs> he's, I think he's going to be a flat-out star in the NFL, and he's kind of like Dotson where he has the tools that translate right away to being a good player from day one in the NFL, but he also just has more upside as a player and a prospect than, than Dotson does. Best route runner in the class by far. You've mentioned this exact note from Matt Harmon on reception perception in the past, but I'm just going to bring it up again. He's right there with Devonta Smith in success rate against man coverage in their last years of college. That's one of the best in reception perception history. And he's better than Jalen Waddle against zone coverage in his last year in college too. He's also in the 93rd percentile against press man coverage, which if you're an X receiver, that's a very important thing for you to be good at. He's a great ball tracker, a great contested catch guy, which you wouldn't think that at his size, but he had like an 81% contested catch rate right up there with Drake London as the top rookie in the class last year. I honestly, and I'm not doing this while taking a dig at Michael Thomas like you are every time you talk up Olave, but I think it's not outside of the realm of possibility that this is a top 15 to 20 receiver. I would not like the full Odell, Justin Jefferson, uh, Jamar Chase, boom, but like very high-end wide receiver two or at least a solid wide receiver two type of boom that he could have this year. The comp I've seen for him a lot is Calvin Ridley. And Ridley is a, is a good example because he, I think, was very polished, ready to play right away. Came in, was top 30 guy right away. I think Olave has a great chance to do that. And he can even do more because of just how awesome he, he is, quite frankly. Yeah, what's funny is I remember about a time last year, this time around, we both really loved an Ohio State rookie uh, we were both in lockstep about the skill set about him being amazing for the team. Uh, and then he ended up not being worth uh, a roster spot on your team mm-hmm. in the name Trey Sermon. Uh, but I do, I completely agree with you. The skill set is there. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to bash Michael Thomas a little more. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely hate that like we get on Twitter and people are like, look at Michael Thomas running these routes by himself on the side of the field. It's like, congratulations, like you've cleared the very, very lowest bar you possibly can for a guy we haven't seen play football for two years. I think the fantasy community would be a lot more behind Chris Olave if he didn't play in such a crowded wide receiver room at Ohio State. I mean, Jackson Smith and Nick Jigba is probably a top 15 pick next year. Yeah, and he's like one of the favorites to win the Heisman Trophy in college football this year. And he probably is going to win the Blinkerkoff Award. And then we have Garrett Wilson, who is a top four pick, or top, what, eight pick in the draft this year. He's the mm-hmm. first wide receiver. I think off he the was board. number 10 overall. Drake London, yeah. eight, and then Garrett Wilson, 10. Yeah, there I flipped their numbers. Uh, it, I mean, if he was in an offense like Traylon Burks was, where he was the guy, it would be a significantly different conversation around him. He's attached to a better quarterback than some of these other rookies are. Uh, I mean, for instance, just Jahan Dotson. 
Um, no offense to him and mm-hmm. your other sleeper. But, I, I mean, I believe it. I think he's going to be a top 30 guy. It, like you said, every time I look at my rankings, I'm like, I want to move him up. But then I'm like, well, do I move Cortland Sutton down? Do I, like, who do I move down? You know, that's, yep. it's right in front of him. And it's really difficult. Um, but the more you look at it, the more I like it. And the last thing I'll say about this is I really don't want to like the Saints this year for a ton of reasons. But the more I listen to like non-fantasy people talk about them, I think they're going to be like a legitimately good team, like well put together and well coached, which is which you want to invest on those teams and not complete, you know, teams that are falling apart like the Jaguars and the Texans. And that makes me want more of a lobby, which mm-hmm. also really concerns me going forward <laughs> because I take him in every underdog draft. I'm 80% exposed to him, and I think I have over $100 invested in Chris Olave being a legitimate NFL product. I think anybody who wanted to make the argument against Olave, outside of any argument against him as a player, which I think we could shut down pretty quickly, the argument is, well, the Saints did not let Jameis throw at all last year. I think the Saints receivers were like the second lowest in the NFL um, in receptions last year with the Eagles being the lowest. Um, my response to that would be look at their receivers last year. It was Marquez Callaway, um, Lil Jordan Humphrey, uh, well, Jason Hill catching have... passes and throwing the ball, like Adam Troutman, the, the ghost. And collectively, of... we tried to make Traycon Smith a thing. Yeah. In the community. And like, so, we, that didn't happen. And they have Michael Thomas back. Even if they don't, Olave is awesome. Jarvis Landry is a good pro still at this point. So that receiver room goes from zero to pretty good overnight, essentially. So I, it's not going to be Tampa Bay, Jameis, where he throws for 5,000 yards and loses the job. But I think we're going to see them open it up a, a little bit more. Because why, why would you trade up multiple first-round picks for Chris Olave to just not let your quarterback throw it to him. I know it's only one year. You have him for longer than that, but like, why, why would you do that? If you're, if you're not going to truly try and use the guy. Yeah. Well, and then I think there's a lot of talk just going around. They don't want Alvin Kamara to have to catch 80 balls again, Mm -hmm. um, just because of his age and the investment the organization has made in him. Um, So I think that there's only positive things that could happen with Chris Olave in fantasy. So, I'm very concerned about what the negatives are going to be on week one. <laughs> uh, I think they play the Falcons week one, so I think it'll be a pretty positive week one experience, do I think. <laughs> yeah, until Arthur Smith listens to this podcast and realizes that Chris Olave is the real wide receiver one and AJ Terrell lines up on Chris Olave and not Michael Thomas. That'd be a problem. That'd be a problem oh. indeed. All right, Dalton, your second sleeper. Um, so I was going to go Chris Olave, but since we talked about it, I, I did want to just provide so, uh, someone else here. Mm-hmm. And this is another player that he's just so low that I think he's going to hit. Uh, it's Kadarius Tony. So I'm going to give you the bad first because there is a lot of bad that comes with Kadarius Tony. Yes. And it's not just being on the New York Giants, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, the first is he is absolutely not a good route runner in the NFL yet. Not good at it. Uh, when he runs anything that's not a slant or like a flat or a screen route, he does not separate. He's not good at those things. The good news is he is now in a coaching environment where the coaching staff will look at that and not use him that way. And more importantly, um, or coach him up to be able to do that because he has all of the physical tools to be able to do it. Correct. And it's discipline. 
Was the it? other thing is, even if he were good at those things, it wouldn't matter because his quarterback's not in mm-hmm. Daniel Jones. Um, what Daniel Jones is going to probably be asked to do is throw really short game manager-esque passes, uh, which is where Kadarius Tony excels. Now, I'm not going to tell you he's going to be like a top 18 guy, but with an ADP of wide receiver 46 going 110th off the board, he's a bench wide receiver who I think is one of those guys you can stuff in your flex spot when you need him, and he has this really high boom potential. Last season, we all remember the game where he had like eight targets and he went absolutely berserk. He was the second most efficient rookie on a yards per route run basis. He did play a lot more limited than other rookies, but to be second on that list still takes some work. It was two point yards per route run. And we we are correct in our assumptions when he came into this league that he is the best after the catch receiver out of his entire class. Mm-hmm. And as long as those skill sets are utilized, I'm okay with betting on that talent profile despite the fact that he can't run routes because that's something you can learn in the NFL. Uh, what you can't learn is being an absolute athletic freak like him. We saw like the full Kadarius Tony experience last year in that Cowboys game that you mentioned that it was over a hundred yards. And I think in back to back games, he was like close to 200 total yards in, in the, in those games. And that was like his stretch of the season because other than that, he was injured or in the Cowboys game, he went crazy um, had a great day and then got thrown out of the game for trying to punch a guy with his with the guy's helmet on. So you have some uh, off the field and just kind of I don't want to say character concerns because I don't personally know Kadarius Tony quite don't obviously, but <laughs> yes, but <laughs> I I'd say discipline is probably probably the thing with again some of the off the field stuff and then just in the on the field stuff the guy has all the physical chops to be able to do all of the stuff that a polished receiver would do. He just hasn't gotten to that point yet. And maybe he will. That and the injuries, because it seemed like he was hurt quite frequently last year, are the concerns. But I'm with you that he's one of the guys that when I get to that point in the draft, I look at and he definitely, he's one of my favorites in that range. You want to bet on on young guys who flashed in the previous year who, or their value is suppressed for whatever reason. Maybe it was because they they flashed, but they weren't consistent in year one. Or it's because they're on a terrible team. Or in the case of Kadarius Tony, it's both. So I think it's a fine bet to make as long as he doesn't work his way up to being like my last fantasy starter in drafts. As long as he doesn't become too mainstream. I'm fine with where he's at right now, though. Yeah. Well, and what I will say is, we knew he had character concerns coming in the NFL. That was something everybody knew out of Florida. And he landed in like the worst program other than Jacksonville to be in that in his rookie season. I mean, they had an entire brawl in the preseason. There was probably no leadership in that room because I do not think Daniel Jones is a leader. I don't think it was, it was, it was, a it was so bad last year that there was a fake tweet during training camp about how Joe Judge was making the whole team run laps because of something yes. that happened. And I believed it because it was Me totally too. it was totally believable based on the other things we had seen about Joe Judge and about how that team was being, was being run. Yes. Well, and then even in the Cowboys game, because Robert Mays mentioned this on the Athletic Football Show, he, he was talking about it wasn't Tony's fault he got in a fight. And I got curious and I looked up the highlights. For like 12 straight plays, the Cowboys players are coming after Tony because he's just tearing the Cowboys up. And instead of, like, lighting him up away from Trayvon Diggs for two plays, 
they just keep going back to Trayvon Diggs and causing more problems. And I know that's like a small thing, but like that's something a good coaching staff's not going to do if they know that this guy is going to do like a Michael Crabtree pull his chain and keep to leave <laughs> kind of situation. And that's exactly what they did. Is they're like, oh, he's winning over there, just leave him over there. And they left him on an island until he lost his mind. Okay, speaking of of terrible coaches, we're going to go to a slightly better, but still I think pretty terrible coach in in Matt Rule for my first breakout of this list. And he's the repeat that I mentioned earlier. I'm doing it again with DJ Moore. I said last year, this guy just has to catch more than four touchdowns and he's going to crush where he's being drafted. And guess what he did? Exactly four. He's like Alvin Kamara with the 81 catches for like three straight years. The dude is four touchdowns each of the last three years. Yep, between 1,100 and 1,200 every season. We've talked about this a little bit. Baker isn't a huge upgrade over... Sam Darnold, but he is an upgrade, and he he's at least league average. Like, I think Baker is league average. Darnold is, like, a league average backup quarterback in the NFL. Baker has a 4.8% touchdown rate in his career. That, I can guarantee you, is much higher. I don't even have the Panthers' exact number, but because I remember from looking at it in the past, it is much higher than their touchdown percentage throwing the ball the last two years. I think they threw 17 passing touchdowns last year. So DJ Moore had 25% of the team's passing touchdown receptions last year. I think this is the year that he finally gets into that wide receiver one category. If his touchdowns just take a little bit of a leap, if the dude catches seven or eight touchdowns, like the yardage I think is locked in. He's going to get that yardage. And there's still room for him as a player to, to develop, I think, too. For him as a player to develop and for the Panthers coaching staff to use him better. The the latter I have less faith in than, than the former. Um, the, his reception perception profile is very good at the short and intermediate patterns. Where it kind of trails off is the deep stuff. And if he could really become a better deep ball guy, that could unlock a new level for DJ Moore to get to. And then the other issue is the Panthers pretty much exclusively lined him up at the X receiver spot. They don't ever move him around. They never put him in motion, never have him run. Like they, as the, the way Matt Harmon put it is they basically draw up no layups for this guy. No, just easy receptions that can give him the ball and get to him in space, which is crazy because he's a great yards after the catch guy. I like DJ Moore this year. He didn't burn me last year, but he just did the same thing, and it felt bad to have picked him as a breakout last year. I, I think it's going to be better than that this year. And it's crazy that Baker Mayfield is the savior, but compared to what it's been, he feels like the savior. Yeah, it is funny that we're doing the same bit with Terry McLaurin and Carson Wentz being his savior. Yep. Um, I do actually think Baker's better than Carson, though, for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, I think Baker does get a bad rep across the NFL because he plays hurt so frequently. I mean, his rookie year, he, like, legitimately was good for a quarterback. Well, and he was good two years ago, and last year he, like, tore his rotator cuff of his non-throwing arm, but still tore his rotator cuff and was, like, barely – there was a game late in the season against the Steelers, I think, where it was, like – Someone needs to sit this guy down. Like, he's going yeah. to die out there. So, it's I don't want to hold last year against him too bad. I do have some concerns if the offensive line is worse for Baker this year, which it should be. Like, I don't think we can expect as good of a Baker Mayfield as we saw two years ago for the Browns. But, again, it's still better than what the Panthers have had. And if that's the case, there's nothing about DJ Moore's game where you look at him and, it, and it's like, 
that's why he does not score touchdowns. It just it's bad quarterback play and it's just flukiness. Yeah, well, and another thing that's incredibly fluky, uh, I know this off the top of my head because it's been all over Twitter, but over the last three seasons, the Panthers are the only team to have more rushing touchdowns than passing touchdowns. Really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you were That's because Sam Darnold and whoever, Cam Newton and whoever else plays quarterback, score, they, they score all of these read option touchdowns. <laughs> well, and if you remember last year to start the season when the Panthers were 3-0, and Sam Darnold was like gay for a while because – they would get into the red zone, and he's such a bad quarterback at making his reads, he would pull the ball and immediately run it in. And a good quarterback is going to stay in the pocket and throw to their best player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I trust Baker at the at a very minimum to throw to DJ Moore in those situations. Uh, and then, I mean, this is a make-it-or-break-it year for Matt Rule. And if you're yeah. going to make it or break it, you're probably going to want to find the two best options on your offense and CMC and DJ Moore and tell sit Baker down and say, listen here, you're going to throw the ball to them. You're not going to stop. You, you are literally my only hope because I have exercised too many resources on terrible quarterbacks. You have to be decent, Baker. Exactly. So at the end of the day, I do think that DJ Moore is going to be a screaming value. It's just so hard with him. I'm just afraid that, like, maybe he's just always going to be that player. Like, look, Julio doesn't score touchdowns. DJ Moore is 1,100 yards and four touchdowns. Look, it's early, but Terrace Marshall was very uninspiring last year. Robbie Anderson changed how he spells his name. Big red flag for me um, going into this year. Never even— Well, he almost retired, and he hates quarterback. Almost retired. Says he hated Baker Mayfield. Said he didn't actually hate Baker Mayfield later on. Um, he was just supporting Sam Darnold. And then, most importantly— change the spelling of his name to the point of I don't remember which way is correct anymore, and that just makes me mad. It does make me mad. Stop changing your name. Don't do it. <laughs> okay, Dalton, your first breakout. It's funny because our breakouts were wide receivers 18 and 17 last year, um, and mine was 17, so mine was actually one above yours. Uh, but I'm going with another guy who got a QB upgrade in Michael Pittman Jr. Mm. This guy, I mean, last season he had 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. He had a really good season. And he had a quarterback in Carson Wentz who his team was doing everything they possibly could to get him to not throw the ball. And he still screwed it up as frequently as he could. Uh, <laughs> I went to PFF and they had a, a comparison for him for his season last year. And that list includes A.J. Brown in 2020, Cortland Sutton in 2019, Michael Thomas, Des Bryant, Amari Cooper, Julio, Juju, and D.J. Moore. Mm-hmm. That is an elite list of players to be a part of. And then you look at Matt Ryan's resume and now his resume for these players is Roddy White, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. I'm not going to like put Michael Pittman Jr. in that echelon, but his I thought you were going to say, I'm not going to give Matt Ryan all the credit for those guys being good. <laughs> well, no, but what Matt Ryan did is those guys over the course of Matt Ryan's career, his wide receiver one averaged 148 targets. Mm-hmm. That is just so much volume to go with it. The reports out of Colts camp have been like moderately good. Paris Campbell might be the two. Alec Pierce is looking like the guy. But they're also saying behind Michael Pittman Jr., there are a lot of drops going on. There's a lot of inconsistencies. Paris Campbell has not played, like, more than two NFL games. Uh, So Michael Pittman Jr. can be the guy. I think that Frank Reich wants to throw the ball more. They don't want to make Jonathan Taylor rush the ball 28 times a game in his third season. Yeah, he's he's literally said we leaned way more into the rushing than than we want to. Number one, they should want to preserve Jonathan Taylor. And number two, I think Frank Reich is smart enough to know we can win in the regular season doing that, but in the playoffs, it's that's just not a sustainable Super Bowl model. And 
when you keep trading for these veteran quarterbacks like they have year after year, they are gunning for the Super Bowl. And it's funny and unfortunate for them. This is like still the fallout of the Andrew Luck retirement. Because if Andrew Luck was the quarterback this whole time, then it would be a whole different story because this roster is loaded and they should be thinking about trying to compete for the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, it's absurd how loaded the entire rest of the roster is. And, I mean, truly, truthfully, Carson Wentz did prevent them from going to the playoffs in a layup game to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars He did. Last I, year. I, I will say, I think Wentz gets a little bit of a bad rap for last year. Like, you look at it on the whole, and he was, like, fine. Not good. Not terrible. The way it ended, yes, absolutely terrible. Was he a terrible person in the locker room and a terrible teammate to deal with? It clearly sounds like it. Maybe. So <laughs> so I think Matt Ryan is a clear upgrade, but I, I, I also, I, I, it's not like they were playing with the worst quarterback in the league last year. Yeah. Well, and the last thing I'll say, and Matt Harmon absolutely loves Allen Robinson. So, like, lo- like loves Allen Robinson as much as he loves Terry McLaurin. And he compared Michael Pittman's first two seasons to Allen Robinson. And the thing that's bothering me is, like, a lot of people are pointing out that, like, Matt Ryan doesn't throw contested balls. I know Michael Pittman Jr. is tall, so anybody without a brain is like, oh, he he's a jump ball receiver. He was, like, the 18th best separator in the NFL last year. Mm-hmm. And that's with Carson Wentz throwing him the deep balls. Like, I, there was a highlight reel of Michael Pittman Jr. having comebacks to balls that were underthrown and beating the deep I, it's just going to work out so well. I think he's like one of those guys who could sneakily be a top five wide receiver to end the season. One of those, you know, like long shot bets to lead the NFL in receiving yards. Mm-hmm. If you guys can't tell, we are new subscribers of Reception <laughs> Perception. Uh, so shout out Matt Harmon. That content is great. And we try and mention it as frequently as possible because it's, it's helpful. It's a, it's a good place for us to find information. And we want to pass at least a little bit of it along to you the listener so okay dalton i'll get to my last breakout here and this one i literally had to go and redo my running back ranks just to move this guy up like five or six spots and that's aj Dillon. he might be the second best running back on his own team but he is also the second best player um second best weapon i should say on this offense we know two top 24 finishes are somewhat rare in fantasy football for running backs. Two top 12 finishes are even more rare. But I think Dylan is a league winner type of guy going in in that mid-round running back range. I think he's the RB25 right now or 24. And that's about where I think he finished as the RB, I have it somewhere, RB22, 23. He was somewhere in that range last year. So he's basically going exactly where he finished last year. He's going to be there between the tackles guy. Per PFF, he's gained at least two yards after contact per play, per rush, on a league-high 75.5% of his carries since he entered the league two years ago. He's a better pass catcher than people think, than I would have thought, based on the fact that he looks like the Hulk and weighs like 250 pounds. Quadzilla. Quadzilla, yeah. If, if, if Johnny, if you don't change his nickname to Quadzilla on Sleeper at some point soon, you're, you're doing Sleeper wrong for your dynasty team. He had 34 receptions for over 300 yards last year, four games with over 40 yards. I've mentioned Aaron Jones as the guy who can line up as a receiver and run receiver routes and make plays down the field. And I 
completely still stand by that. And I think the fact that Aaron Jones can do that makes it so you can get these guys both on the field as often as possible. You can put Aaron Jones in the slot. You can put him out wide. And you can line him up both in the backfield in different creative ways. And it's really funny that this is where I got this note that I thought was interesting. But I was listening to Aaron Rodgers' Pardon My Take interview the other day. And they, for a split second, talked about real football and talked about um, the Packers offense. And he just talked – he is a West Coast offense guy. It's his favorite offense. But he did say that the good thing about the offense they have now is they put so many guys in motion. They can line up in the same look, and it means something different every time. And I think, to me, that just that just sounds like, oh, this is a really advantageous offense to use two running backs in creative ways. So I'm really excited to see – how that plays out, how those guys are used. He led the team, AJ Dillon did last year in carries. I think he's going to do it again by an even wider margin. He was like at 187 last year. I think you can probably hand him 30 more carries this year if he has a healthy season. They have no receivers ranked inside the top 40 of ADP last I checked. So I just think the second guy on this offense is going to be a very, very useful fantasy weapon he has all the upside in the world if anything ever happened to Aaron Jones and even if it doesn't just looking back at last year here we go he was the RB 22 last year he only had five rushing touchdowns think about it between the tackles guy and a great offense he had the and Aaron Jones only had four so they had nine rushing touchdowns between those two backs last year you give him four more rushing touchdowns last year he all of a sudden would have been the RB15, even with the exact same season last year. So I moved him up the RB17. I could totally see them having two top 12 backs this year, though. Yeah, well, and you stole my thunder there, because I'm going to write a way too bold takes for this fantasy uh, season. I think one of them is going to be that uh, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones both finished in the top 12 and the first duo to do it since Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara did, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's really within their outcomes. Like you said, I think Aaron Jones plays a lot more like receiver looks because they, they're going to need him to, and Aaron Rodgers is such a finicky quarterback that he wants guys out there who he knows exactly what they're going to do. Um, and on the other side of that, this is probably a team that has like the second or third best defense in the NFL, and they're going to want to try to game clock manage if they're stuck in games where their receivers just aren't getting the job done, which I think is a very high possibility when you look at that receiver room. Well, in both these backs, like I said, can get the job. I I think Dylan can take a step forward in the passing game too this year. Yeah. Especially because they're going to need him to probably. Well, and if you get into the red zone, I mean, it's probably them and Robert Tunyon Mm -hmm. whenever he's back that you're looking at. A.J. Dillon is my favorite running back to take when I go no RB on underdog. It is such an easy thing to do. And then you stack him with a cheap Tunyon and a cheap Rodgers. It is incredible that the reigning MVP is being drafted as like the QB 14. Yep. And his entire offense, other than Aaron Jones, is like an afterthought to everybody. There's I think, he, I think he's moved here. up to QB 12 on Fantasy Pros. So people are starting to wise up to it a little bit. But, but still, yes. Exactly. So I love it. Love A.J. Dillon. You can have two productive backs in a good offense, and this is a good offense. Don't shy away from it just because Aaron Jones is there, mm-hmm. who I have in the top five. So, you know, it can work out for both of them. Well, and just, like, look at some of the guys going in in his range. Like Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, Left. even a little higher up, David Montgomery, who has allegedly been playing special teams, special teams. At, at some point. 
Um, let, me, let me pull a, a couple other names. Travis Etienne, Elijah, Elijah Mitchell, Mitchell, Josh Jacobs. I think A.J. Dillon, even though he's not the starter on his own team, is safer than all of those guys and offers a very similar ceiling. I think is Dob- Josh Jacobs the starter? <laughs> I, think, I think Dobbins still has slightly more upside, but the upside is not all that dissimilar between those two. And yeah. the floor is well, safer. Absolutely. I mean, you know he's healthy, mm-hmm. most importantly. And then again, like, it isn't good to take, like, the best handcuffs in football. That's why Tony Pollard is, like, running back 28 in ADP. And, I mean, that that room behind Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon gets really slim. It's like Kylan Hill and some other guys. There's no one else really there mm-hmm. to do it. There's no Ty Montgomery in that offense anymore. So if A.J. Dillon gets hurt, which he is an older back, you have, like, immediate, like, top eight Aaron Jones. Upside. Aaron Jones. Yeah, sorry, Aaron back. Jones. Yes. Um, it's funny you mentioned Tony Pollard. I really badly wanted to put him on this list, but the Cowboys are one of the few teams when the owner comes out and says it's got to all revolve around Zeke, just like, God damn it, man. Just let it, let it happen. (laughs) So I couldn't put Pollard on this list. Can't wait for to one day be able to do so. Just as like an aside, you know what has cracked me up? Memphis has produced like some of the most tantalizing NFL backs. Yeah. And between Gibson, Kenneth Gainwell, and Tony Pollard, it's like, why can't one of them just be a starter so I can actually know that Memphis is actually producing these guys and they're not just putting names out there? That did look did, good on did you mention Daryl Henderson too? Oh, Daryl Henderson's another one. And they they and all then, look good. And Kenneth Gainwell, uh, also, yeah, I did say Gainwell, also from just, Memphis. Yep. It's so annoying. Memphis is just, they're like little. They're just tricksters with how they use those running backs, I feel like. Yep, they are all hybrid receiver types when they come in. Antonio Gibson was like quite literally a receiver at Memphis, yeah, actually. and now he's a rusher. So, so that's, that's why that's, that's been a weird path for him. Okay, Dalton, your last breakout, our last guy of the show is? Well, it was spoiled. Thanks for that one, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. Um, but it's Trey Lance, who's currently going as the QB 13. Um, a podcast host who will not be named, but he's a host for a podcast that rhymes with the Schmanishy Schmuckballers, famously ranked <laughs> Trey Lance in the top five when he wasn't even a starter last year. And I went and looked at that same podcast host ranks this year. And he has him as nine. I don't know how you get that like leap of faith and then lose it uh, when this guy is actually the bona fide starter. He played like one or two games last year. And to be honest, he didn't look very good, but it was... Like, replacing an injured Jimmy G didn't have more than a couple days to prepare. And you know what? It was his first game. It was, like, one or two games as a rookie. Well, and it doesn't matter if he didn't look good because when it comes to – and this is a trend that I'm now on year three on. Yeah, tell me how many the, rushes he had against the Texans last year. It was the Cardinals. Uh, he had 16 carries <laughs> against the Cardinals for 89 yards. That's 8.9 fantasy points. It's so hard to get that as a quarterback. He, in games he started, which is three, he came close to an average of eight rushes per game, which would have been the highest for any quarterback in the NFL. Then you just, like, go to his supporting cast in Debo, in Ayuk, in Kittle, and that offensive line with Trent Williams acreing it. It is so hard for you to come up with a scenario where he does not return, like, a top 10 value because his best trait is he's a runner, just like Jalen Hurts. Didn't look great as a passer last year, but because he could rush the ball so effectively, the guy just gets it done. He has one he, thing that Hurts does not have, though, and that's a cannon, cannon arm. He has a huge arm. And I just don't get like the QB 13 vibes here. I would rather take Trey Lance, 
at ADP, then I would take like Jalen Hurts. Wow, you're like, the first person I've heard that from all week. That's that's crazy. Well, I mean, like <laughs> if you're building like an ideal fantasy team, you want to hit on the late round guy, and he mm-hmm. is like in my him and maybe Kirk Cousins are the only late round guys who could creep into the top twelve, and. Like, are we really excited about taking Dak Prescott at 10 with, like, no, no one in that team and, like, a bad offensive line? Would you be surprised if at the end of the season Dak Prescott's, like, QB 13 and Trey Lance is QB 6 with nine rushing touchdowns? No, I not at all. And, and, and the thing with Trey Lance is that he's so cheap. What is, like, QB 13, I think, right now? Which, to be frank, I think I have him at QB 15. I think I need to move him up a little bit. It's hard to get him inside the top 12 because there's a lot of good lot of good quarterbacks. But at the same time, if I'm drafting a quarterback late, I'm kind of ignoring that rank a little bit. And I'm shooting for upside because if it misses, guess what I can do? I can go pick up Kirk Cousins. I can go pick up Matt Ryan. I, I, I can correct the mistake quite easily. It's kind of like with tight ends, how we talked about with Irv Smith last week with, with his injury. If he doesn't play week one, you can go correct that mistake quite easily if things don't work out if he doesn't play or he stinks for a couple weeks yeah and if it works out and i hate this comparison but there are beat writers for the athletic going out there and being like this is like mahomes all over again like this is a guy that sat a year out and we're seeing him make these highlight plays every every practice Mm -hmm. and if it works out and he comes in and shanahan's like i finally got the one guy that is like capable of running this zone read offense to a t then he's, he could be like a QB one, like out of everybody outside, like the top eight QBs, he's probably the only guy who has that upside, except for uh, maybe Daniel Jones. If Brian Dabble is like <laughs> the QB whisperer no. that we all have been waiting for. I do want to address uh, this before we move on too quick. Uh, Noah asked, do the Cowboys, like basically asked, do the Cowboys have bad offensive line? The answer to that is not bad, but aging and getting worse by the year. They just lost Lyle Collins to the to the yeah, Bengals. Lost who, their best tackle. Yeah, their best left their their left tackle, I believe. Yeah, and Frederick is getting. I mean, Frederick didn't play a full season. Um, they brought Zion Williamson in to be like their guard, and there's concerns about him being ready. Wait, I Zion, just, what, what was not not Zion Williamson? Look, the, the, I know Zion Williamson's a pretty hefty man, but he's got <laughs> got a little weight to be a guard. They traded the Pelicans. They gave the Pelicans <laughs> Michael Gallup. <laughs> uh, no, they brought in a guard in the draft, though, and even then there's concerns that he's not going to be ready to play. Um, so, yeah, I would say they don't have a great offensive line. It's just not. it. Like, they used to be elite, and now they're probably middle of the pack. That's what I'd say. Yeah. But on Trey It's like Lance, what happened to Joe Flacco. <laughs> the, the last thing I, I would say about him is we've got to give we, – we've got to give Kyle Shanahan for as much as he frustrates us from a fantasy perspective – this guy not only traded up into the top three, top four, whatever pick he was, to take him, but was totally good with... I know Jimmy G was not good last year. They still almost made the Super Bowl with him at quarterback. And they were finally like, okay, bye. It's Trey Lance. It's Trey Lance time this year. Like, no doubt about it. So I think that has to factor into that until we actually see it, because we've barely seen it with Trey Lance, we have to think that Shanahan's not crazy in, in seeing something in, in this kid. Yeah, I mean, he made Matt Ryan the best. I mean, Matt Ryan won an MVP. I'm not going to say because of Kyle Shanahan, but like Kyle Shanahan was a very critical part to him winning MVP because he has not replicated that performance since. And it's just, you get like Andy Reid picked Mahomes and it worked out. And just like that, this coach picked his player 
and th- they're probably going to do their damnedest to work it out. And when two offensive minds meld and two skill sets meld, they just like could next year we be talking about Trey Lance being like the QB four behind yeah. like the three lead, you know? Yeah, like who like a- after that top three, it's Herbert and Kyler. Like looking yeah. ahead the next year, it's like yeah, maybe he doesn't pass Herbert. Depends on what, what the rushing upside truly is, but he could easily be right there in that five through eight conversation. Yeah. Eventually, Tom Brady is not going to be there. Eventually, but he still is right now. Yeah, and of course, we are just putting Jalen Hurts at the four uh, because this <laughs> will be the season he just gets incredible. So. Maybe five, but still. I just gotta say, I love that you have Lance as as your guy because he's lucky if you made Jalen Hurts an actual good prospect. Well, that's just offensive. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I will say my last note on Trey Lance is like he does fit the type of football player I like to watch. Like he's this deep cannon, like I don't care thrower. Go like I was watching Christian Watson highlights trying to figure out if I liked him, mm-hmm. and all of his highlights are like Trey Lance just like throwing it down against like these cruddy little quarters and like Christian Watson going up and getting it. Yeah, it is a very fun player. He does have a cannon. He just needs to fix everything that's not forty yards downfield. Yeah, it's so funny that uh, two of the most athletic freaks in the NFL right now, young guys, went to North Dakota State mm-hmm. to play their college football and on that note that is going to do it for episode 77 of the half point for podcast thank you to everyone who listens to everyone in the youtube chat and watching on youtube tonight we appreciate you guys very much subscribe to the youtube at half point per pod follow the tiktok at half point per pod as well that are that is probably the two biggest things you can do to support the podcast right now Read the newsletter at halfpointperpod.substack.com. And, of course, listen to us anywhere you find your podcast, Spotify, Apple, etc. Leave us the five-star reviews. Um, those are always appreciated as well. And we will talk to you guys next week with, I believe, Bus. Uh, so another big show coming up. Thank you guys so much again for listening.